Welcome to the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. And this is Trav. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast, your podcast of sticking with your buds no matter how amazing they might be. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> this week we are doing another segment on our Saying Yes series where we try to do everything we can. We lean over backwards. We go out and we pick up your, your sister from the mall and bring her home just so that your character can be in this game. And so what we're doing here is we're working with troublesome characters. Not players. <laughs> but troublesome characters. Characters that don't necessarily fit well with your group. In a game like Fringeworthy, it makes sense that you would have characters that wouldn't necessarily fit together well because the people who are in Fringeworthy are randomly chosen. I mean, they're only one out of 100,000 has the Fringeworthy capability, so that means you're going to have an eclectic group when you form a team. Now, sure, they're going to try to do a little bit of typecasting, whatever, you know, try to fit people together so you don't have the black power guy with the Ku Klux Klanner, but there's still lots of other things that could really cause friction in a team. So we wanted to present some really extreme characters and talk about how these characters could be managed so that they could still work together in a team. From the stuff that I've seen posted already on our TriTag game site, we've got some really strange, extreme characters. Probably not all of them would be in the same team, but we're going to talk about it as if they are. And we are going to primarily be talking about Fringeworthy because of that eclectic aspect. But really, working with difficult or extreme characters is something you're going to run into any game that you play. The same concepts that work here will really work at any game. So we're really hoping to give you something that you can bring to your game, no matter what game it is. And we really hope it's Fringeworthy or one of the other TriTag games. So who wants to go first? Well, I posted first. I might as well go first then. All right. Okay, may I, may I just say, some, um, folks, Amber is with us tonight, but she is without Mike, so if she comments, I'm going to be her proxy, so if she has a question that she wants to ask, I will bring it to the attention of the other guys here. I just, yeah. she is with us tonight, but just via Skype chat only, so. So can you, can you do it in her voice? <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> John, no. No, no, Trav, she has a musicality to her voice. You're going to have to work a little harder at. Yeah. Hey, how about I just read from the Skype chat? There we go. <laughs> uh, okay, so John, you said you were going to start first. Yeah, yeah. Amber came up with, uh, basically was dealing with extreme characters. So I figured, okay, instead of making your standard, he's bloodthirsty, he's this, he's that, I said, let's make a character that when you meet him, you think he's the bestest guy in the world. He's not. This, in this case, my character, I called him Charles Chuck. 
Atherton. I'm going to read from my description here. So Yeah, go right ahead, John. That would probably be better. Yeah, yeah. Chuck is a glass half full person. No, wait. He's worse than that. He's a glass half full of water and half full of hope for more. He never sees the dark side of anything, no matter what. He's a Pollyanna and an insufferable optimist. Uh, the only reason why his comrades don't put a bullet in his head for his pie-in-the-sky attitude is that he's quite competent in his field of expertise. Chuck is a charmer, and he has the unholy level of charisma that enables him to sell ice to Eskimos and take candy from a baby and have them like it. And there is something creepy about the fact that he's a, such an optimist, at the same time, penultimate con man. He'll be your bestest buddy, your go-to man, your man in the corner, and at the same time, he'll hamstring you behind your back with unusual forms of praise, such as, I'm sure Peter will be will beat the addiction problem he has. I hadn't seen him show up for weeks now. So, you know, Chuck is this kind of guy who, he sounds happy, and he's always seen the bright side of things. He's also a backstabbing so-and-so. So he damns you with praise, does he? Yeah, he yeah, damns you with faint praise or praises you with faint dams, whichever way you want to go. Yeah. <laughs> well, in the D20 system, there's a base class that really is is just custom for this. I mean, the charismatic character. Oh, yes, yeah. And, and the uh, talents would suit Chuck perfectly. There's charm, favor, fast talk, coordinate. Those are just a few of them. I don't have D20 monitor here in front of me, but, mm-hmm. oh, God, he'd have all those talents. He'd be buying them up left, right, and center. Yeah, and, and then Savage Worlds, he actually would get charisma and possibly attractive, and even, if he can swing it, very attractive. That would give him a plus six to his charisma, which in Savage Worlds is a big deal. So he'd be basically charming people left, right, and Sunday. But it also would give him the disadvantage of being, you know... Uh, I'm trying to think of the equivalent disadvantage in Savage Worlds, but he probably, uh, there's no such thing as two-faced, but he is definitely two-faced. So uh, we work around that. Right. Maybe even come up with a special disadvantage just for Chuck. Well, one of the things I wondered was you talked about how optimistic he was. Does that make him reckless? In a way, yeah. Well, of course we can, we can do this. There's only 200 Meller out there. We got guns. We can do this. So overconfident comes into mind. Yes, overconfident be one. <clears throat> right. But also, this guy, if he's a con man, his first thing is self-preservation. I mean, yeah, he'll help out his friends, but he'll be the guy, I'll cover the door here. You guys go out and do that because you've got the more guns, and I know you're far more confident than me in, you know, keeping yeah. up an assault. He's oh, yeah. out for self-preservation. He'll just make it look like, you know, it's your idea. You know, to- and sadly, he's your face man. He also probably would have greedy as another one. So he's your face man. He's also making sure that his is the only face that, that the NPCs see if he can help it. You know, and he'll be trying to make deals and so forth, whatever, whoever, whatever race you guys encounter. Yeah. So what, what becomes important to this discussion, when it regards you know to, to all these characters, but we'll start we'll start with this guy. What sacrifices does the player who's playing him have to make? in order to um, get along with the party because with all these extreme characters you know we're, we're going to have we're going to have all these quirks or, or things about them that make them difficult you know for the other players yeah. to get along with because I played with these these guys before you know they they play some characters some difficult uh, you know unbelievably uh, bothersome quirk about them 
And you find yourself at the end of the game, like, why would my character put up with this guy? I mean, why, you know, it's like you don't want to kill the other character or the other player's character in the game. You try not to. But there comes a point where your character is just like, no, I would shoot this guy. I mean, I, I can't help myself. I'm going I'm to have to shoot this guy's character. I, I, my character would not take this anymore. He's not going to, he's just, he, he really wouldn't put up with this. So everybody has to make sacrifices. The other players have to make sacrifices. They have to come up with excuses why their character don't, doesn't throw him off the platform. But at the same time, the guy playing the character owes it to the other players at the table and the game master to come up with reasons why uh, his character will do things to fit in with the rest of the party. There, there, are th- there are certain things that he will sacrifice in his character traits in order to reach at least that area where he's rubbing everybody wrong but not enough yeah. to make them want to put him out of his misery or out of their misery. I, I see him as the uh, the guy in the uh, Almond Brothers songs. Might steal your diamonds, but bring you back some gold. Yeah, he's going to screw you over, but you're not going to get screwed all the way. And he's going to make a, a profit off of it because somebody like this, a con artist, as I said, he's looking out for himself, and he's he's seeing the fringe path. Says, you know, I can get all sorts of neat stuff here. Oh, you mean I got to work and get neat stuff for Earth Prime too? Okay, I can do that. Yeah, but you know, as long as I get my cut. I get the this, primo stuff. Yeah, this is the guy, if you find, and I know there's one world that's in like the negative 80s on the portal charts. There's like 37 key crystals in it. You know he's getting the rainbow one, or at least the highest level one. That's going in his pocket, and you'll never know it. You might get all the rest of the lower ones, but he's going to get the best one. Would you see it as if you're playing Chuck, you're the, you're the player who's playing this character, would you make it a point to always make sure you score something for the other party members? You're... you're because you're a charmer, and your charm doesn't just stop with with you know the people you're you're um, ripping off. You know it, it also goes to your party. So it's like you know, you know you irritate people. Come on, you wouldn't have that kind of charisma if you couldn't read people. You can read these people. You, he's got to be kind of narcissistic, okay? Because every charismatic person who uses their charisma to get ahead is very narcissistic. That's that's a big part of why they do what they do. So he's he's able to read people. So he would know. All right, look, I can only push these guys so far. So every once in a while, I gotta throw them a bone. I gotta make them happy. So he's always kind of doing little things to help everybody out and appease them and make them happy. So you go to a world, but then, but then, you know, he winds up scoring some party where everybody goes to it and they all have a really good time. And he, but it's it's because of his efforts, and they know that. They know that they had a great time that night because he hooked everybody up. And, and it seems like he really went out of his way to do that. And he, and, he, and he understands when people get upset with him. And he'll go out and and he's probably already figured out what works best with him. He may go on a bender with some guy. Now, of course, Chuck is one person who basically looks like he's having a great time and drinking a lot. If you count his glasses, you realize he's been drinking from one glass all night long. He doesn't really go on a bender, but he'll help you go on a bender. And then oh, later yeah. on, talk about, you know, he may actually talk. Oh, I, Robert can drink like a fish. I mean, you can see him putting on back last night. I mean, I could, wish I could do that myself. I'm a teetotal. I'm, I'm a little lightweight in that area. Like I said, praising with fake dams. <laughs> well, plus, he, he's, he's the guy that would hook, hook one of the team members up who's kind of lonely mm-hmm. with a hooker, but never tell them. That it's a hooker, you know, that would be part of the deal. He would pay her and say, no, no, pretend like you like him, you know, and, and get with him. Don't ever tell him what you do. That's part of the payment. Chip, from My Three Sons, 
Jim Carrey's character in Cable Guy. That's a perfect example. Yes. This the Cable Guy. He doesn't have his own personality. He basically well, he has a personality, but he doesn't have his own like identity. He he always calls himself by character names on TV. So whenever he tells somebody who he is, he always picks some TV character name to tell him who he is. He's a perfect example of some of the stuff that this guy would do because Chip Douglas, he was trying to win over Matthew Broderick's character and he was doing all this really nice stuff for him, but it, it was it was done all wrong. Like everything he did was like it was like this weird backhanded kind of odd friendship he was he was trying to um, create. And that's how this guy would be. I see everything he does is having sort of like an artificial feel to it. He doesn't have boundaries where he should. Right, exactly. And you realize when he's crossing them, and he doesn't. Brought up a point that's like, yeah, I got, I got my buddy this huge TV free of charge that he stole from somebody else. <laughs> and probably not say, oh, by the way, where'd you get this TV? Oh, it's great. I got a deal. And then they find out that, oh, by the way, yeah, there's some guy hunting us because we have his television. Well, I told him I told him it wasn't working right. I'll take it to the shop for him and get it fixed. <laughs> hey, he says, "Here, buddy, I found this and and I wanted you to have it. And it's you know it's like a a light blue crystal or something like that. And the guy's like, "Oh my God, where'd you find this? Don't worry about it. We were traveling. I found it, and, and I already had one. And I knew how bad you wanted your own crystal, so I got this for you. Meanwhile, he stole it from the IDET, you know, uh, uh, treasure room." No, no, worse yet. He 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 pried it uh, late at night. He pried off the 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 little statue in the in the Tazil in the Tazil temple, and, <laughs> and pried it off from up there. Right, right. Hey, look, this is us running. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, that's the thing is that he's going to be using skills like bluff, not diplomacy. So sooner or later, his fabrications are going to catch up to him, and therefore catch up with the rest of the team. I still think he'd have diplomacy. It just obviously, you know, just not as high as bluff. Get information, sense motive, spot and listen, behavioral sciences. Even if it's more of an intuitive thing than a learned skill, this guy might even have some thieving skills. So search and disable device might be good. Wait a minute, are we are we talking about a really nice sociopath? Yes, we are. <laughs> I mean, seriously, this guy doesn't he doesn't see boundaries? Okay, but he's also in a lot of ways, he's very generous. He's just... He's loyal. He's just not fully generous to everybody. Right. He's more generous to himself, yeah. But he's also generous to the people around him, but it always revolves around him. He's being nice yes. to you because he wants to get something out of you, like your friendship or whatever. And when he writes a report for the mission, he always makes sure that he, he highlights himself in every, in every bit of it. But he does, of course, give kudos out to the rest of the team, but he's like, you know, they're just there assisting me. In doing this fabulous mission. Yeah, yeah, Pip Gazbet, he's selfish. He's completely selfish. Yeah, he may do something for you. And it, it's, I just, yeah, it's always going to, but not without something to benefit himself. Exactly, Pip, yeah. Oh, even when he does something for you, it's done as a favor. So, like, you owe him because he did this for you. Right, so basically, if he does something for you, it's really for him. Yeah. Ultimately, yes. Yeah. Sure. yeah there you go, yeah, says there is no favor. It's what's referred to as enlightened self-interest. He may take you to some big fancy event, but it may be because you being there gets him in without being noticed. There you go. All right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I actually, I like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all supposed to like him ultimately. Right. No, no. I yeah. mean, no, I wouldn't yeah. really like this guy as a friend. I like this guy as a character. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, no. These are traits that you wouldn't put up with from your friends in real life. You'd just be like, no, I've had enough of this. Right. We're done here. But this is also a professional relationship. Right. Right. But, well, in in time, in these IDET teams, well, in any adventuring party, let's just broaden this to role-playing in general, you become a family because you go through sometimes life and death together. You're going to need to depend on this guy to get you into something that if you don't, you know, pee on the fire and call on the dogs because it's going to be done. You need Chuck to get you in the door or to get you past something. Help. So, yeah, after a while, it's going to be more than a professional relationship. We're going to learn to rely on this guy. You may not like him. You know, it's the old saying I read in Justice League International years ago. When you shake hands with the devil, keep one hand firmly on your soul. This is a good character for any campaign. I mean, you know, you, you can see this guy in Incursion. You, you, you can see this guy in Bureau 13 very easily. FTL, definitely. You're going to have him plying the yeah, space yeah. lanes, probably being going from one end of the galaxy to the other and just bumming rides off everybody. And definitely hardwired hinterland. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Hardcore Fenton Mud. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this guy would be in D&D your bard rogue kind of character. Yeah, he's not quite yeah. a Han Solo. Because Han Solo actually had a conscience. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and he didn't care about pleasing everybody. This guy would. Yeah. At least on the surface. Yeah. But he but he wanted to be thought of as a Han Solo, though. Yeah, That's right, the thing. right. Right, yeah. right, yeah. Oh, yeah, he presents himself in the in the team reports as, yeah, you know, I did this and the other guys helped and all this. Yeah, so he wants to look good because he knows that will garner him further favor that he can use later. It's like, well, you know, in the report it said, you know, I, I put that I did this. I was wondering if you could hook me up with something from the, you know, the IDET treasure room. Uh, Pip said his generosity is purely superficial. At least Han Solo had real friendships, not quote-unquote business friendships. Yeah, and it may also irk people if he actually really is competently skilled. I mean, he he's good at what he does. Right, that's what I'm saying. It's also a professional relationship, which is part of the reason why you put up with his shenanigans. Of course, you can always have the backstory of how he grew up hand-to-mouth, some poor kid, and he, who just learned the, the gift of gab and sort of took it from there. And the only reason why he's in IDET or he's in, he's in the Bureau or whatever is because otherwise he'd be in jail. Right. Oh, no, I see this guy as, yeah, that's pretty much it'd be his motivation IDET. Either that, whatever organization, or he'd be in some type of danger. Jail, or you'd be killed, or to escape somebody. IDET's the biggest score in the world. I mean, he's got the spotlight on him for nothing. I mean, he doesn't even have to do anything to earn that. And whatever happens out on the fringe pass, he can spin whatever tale he wants to when he comes back and they shove a camera in front of him and a microphone to him. It's gold for somebody like this. This guy doesn't know what a friend is. He doesn't know what it really means to have a friend. And no. and out on the fringe pass, you know, he's always running into new people all the time. I mean, you can't really make friends out there because you're never going to see them again, or you may once in a great while, but nothing of a real endearing friendship other than the people you travel with. Those are professional. Those are people he works with, so he doesn't even have to worry about that. You know, he's now living in the perfect world for him where he can network all the time. You know, he's in a constantly meeting new people, so they never get to know him, so his tricks never get really revealed. And if they do, it doesn't matter. He leaves that world. They find out his game or his the kind of stuff he plays, then it doesn't matter because he he's gone. You know, so he lo he loves that. 
and he has the rest of the team to make it right if he does screw somebody over. I think he might have maybe one or two very close friends, but something he keeps very tight-lipped about and gets suspiciously defensive about them. Maybe they did something that he genuinely valued, save his life, or did something for him he knew he didn't deserve or something. Yeah, that's true. He might have to have one or two close allies, and they'd probably be the team. After a while, he would have to forge. This would be over time because he would realize, okay, I'm with these people out on the fringe paths. If I truly put these people off, I will end up being free-floating over out off of a pathway. I need to be as close to them as possible without giving up too much of myself. They would be the ones he would have to bond with just for matters of, of mutual survival. I help them get indoors and get past people. They help me with their guns and their weapons and their tech. Well, plus you have to take it another direction. I mean, there's that's one direction, Trav. Another direction would be, let's say this guy really isn't like a true sociopath, you know, to where he cannot develop any kind of inter, any true interpersonal relationship. Let's say he can. He's just not good at it. He's very uncomfortable with it. But you know, he doesn't. He's not. You know, he's not mentally ill to the point to where he cannot have friends. He's going to need one. Everybody needs a friend if, as long as they have a normal brain. So he's, he's going to put his confidence in at least one person. Yeah. Or, he, or he could have had a tragedy in his life. I mean, he was a con maybe before, but he may also have had a wife and child, and then they got killed. He doesn't want to get close to anyone anymore at this point. He wants to stay, uh, keep a certain distance away from people, but still, Parvin wants to get that relationship back again that he had. He could be one of those people that it lacks so much self-confidence in himself that he's always playing a role. And so over time, you realize that it rings false, but at the same time, he can't ever drop the facade because he's afraid that you won't like him if you see him how he really is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that whole thing where you build up an identity in order to interact with people better because you know that if you let them see the real you, yeah, they're going to be like, okay, we've gotten used to this guy, and now who he really is is kind of, well, lackluster, and we like the guy with the skills, and we're not all that keen on this one. Yeah, oh, yeah. nothing about that whatsoever, no. <laughs> I, you know, I had to say this. It reminds me of an old Love American-style episode with Rich Little, who had all these different personalities, but he didn't. He never showed his own personality till toward the end of the, of the little episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's move on to Peter. Oh, I'm next. What you got, Blake? Yeah. All right. I went down a little darker path. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> so the name's not important, but I came up with this name, uh, Janine Moreau. It can be anybody. Janine is a former Army doctor. She served at a field hospital for most of her time in the service, but hated the long and stressful hours. At the end of her last term, she left the Army and went to school to become a mortician. She hired on to the FBI and started working at the body farm. She is renowned for her ability to determine cause of death in some, some of the most extreme cases. She is also an avid jiu-jitsu practitioner and has been training in this art since she lived in Japan with her parents. You can only imagine Idette's excitement when she turned up Fringeworthy and was excited to join to serve and serve on the team. Rarely does Idette get such an upstanding member with its with this degree of training, confidence, and physical prowess. She is what you would call a slam dunk. You would call her that if you didn't know her dark secret. Janine is a cannibal and has been since her trip to the Amazon in her senior year when her tour got lost and was abducted by a group of previously unknown natives. 
One by one, the group was killed and eaten. Janine had been saved for last and had also been forced to eat the flesh of her friends. The night before her turn came, she broke loose and made it to the river. She was found several days later by a tour group and spent the next month in a hospital recovering from a slew of nasty parasites. So, I mean, I won't read the whole thing, but basically she goes on. She uh, she never speaks of her cannibalism. So she's, she's working for IDET. You know, there's something wrong with her. This this trip to the this trip with the senior trip to the Amazon, uh, and her being captured and eating flesh has has broken something in her. And you know, now she she's into that. She craves the flesh of her friends. Right. She or or, or just human flesh. Um, and, and I went on to talk about how she. I wrote a whole backstory for her, and I, and I basically went on to talk how she served in the military, and and uh, there was an incident where. Somewhat, one of she was in a foxhole, and one of her friends was was laying there dead next to her with burning flesh, and she gave into her cravings, and now she's you know that was when she had fully embraced the cannibalism. Um, so basically, she travels with the group, and she eats bodies or eat, or eats flesh when she can in secret. So she keeps this as a secret, and she has this desire to, to eat human flesh. She doesn't like kill people. She's not a murderer. She won't kill somebody just to eat their flesh. It's always like uh, victims of circumstance. And if you've played Fringeworthy for any period of time, and this could be any game. This could be Bureau 13. This could be Incursion, Cyberpunk. Any game you play, any characters we played, our characters would really in real life be considered mass murderers of all the people we wind up killing for one reason or another. You can imagine there's always opportunities that your character would have to, to eat human flesh. She eats carrion. Uh, well, not so much. I mean, relatively fresh, but still, basically, she's not the one who's killing them. She eats carrion. She's an opportunistic cannibal. Yeah, she's an opportunistic yeah. cannibal. Yeah, yeah. She wouldn't when I when I imagine can- carrion, I imagine something that's been sitting around for a day or two. Like uh, roadkill. Like no, roadkill. No. Fresh. No, no, we gotta remember she's a she's a doctor. She's a trained doctor, so she's not going to eat something that's going to make her sick. And she knows how to avoid all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and another beauty of it is that she is a trained doctor. So let's say there's something wrong with you and she has to do surgery on you. She might save a piece for later. Wow. So if she had to cut out, let's say she had to, let's say you're on, you're on the French path and, uh, you, you have appendicitis and she operates on, she operates on you and cut your, you know, she has to do like a field surgery and cut your appendix out to save your life. Uh, she might save a tiny little sliver of flesh for later that you won't miss when she sews you back up. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Uh, right. uh, Pip would d- said something. It, it honestly concerns her about cannibalism. Eating flesh too often. Doesn't that leave physical tells in a person? Shakes and jitters. And no. John brought up that. Well, it depends. That is a um, – I know that was if, in, in – that's been in movies and stuff. If you eat brains, there's a chance you eat. You get kuru or laughing sickness. You you can, and she would. She's a doctor, so she would know about that. So she she might know how to avoid that. And she's not eating it raw. She's cooking right. it. Yeah, she would be cooking it. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, so she wouldn't eat things like the liver, which would be absolutely nasty in most yeah. humans. Yeah, she wouldn't eat the liver. That's nasty. That's <laughs> right, that's right. the uh, filter. Right. The Andes survivors uh, they spent months eating the flesh of their teammates. And other than the psychological issues of being cannibals, they didn't suffer any physical harm at all. Right. And they were eating every day this food. Right. So, so we have to get down to what makes this character difficult to play. Well, it's obvious, okay? She, 
you're going to try and eat human flesh whenever you can, whenever the opportunity presents itself, and you don't want to get caught. So that's always a difficult proposition. And if you get caught, I mean, it's not something you just walk away from or talk your way out of. You know, getting caught is not good. It's not good in a major way. And I even put in the, the backstory that I wrote, uh, there was an incident where one of the team members caught her and she had to kill the person to, to keep that secret. And that's something as a, as a player character you may have to deal with if you're going to play this type of character. Unless you're doing this as a kind of a surprise between you and the GM and the rest of the party, this may be something that you have to discuss with the group, the PCs, before you ever play this character to see whether or not when the reveal finally comes, you know, whether they're going to, that's going to be it for your character. Is, you know, are they just going to turn around and walk away from your character or not? Since we're saying you know, that we want to incorporate these characters no matter what, then that's going to have to be part of everybody's character concept, that when they do find out that she's a cannibal, that they're going to be able to come to a vivivende, a, a uh, ability to live with it. Right. Uh, Pip brought up the concept of a Wendigo. Oh, and do you oh. believe that if you eat a human, you absorb their powers, talents, physical traits? And I, brought, I replied, only the sense if there's a supernatural way to do so. There might be a psychological way to do this, you know, and she might think, but an actual physical manifestation of this is a Wendigo. Only if you have, let's say you're on a magic rich world, a magic rich node, and this whole thing with Janine comes up and she does translate into a Wendigo. Then she would have these supernatural powers where she does this, but it would only be active on magic based nodes. That's the answer to Pep's question. Well, think about this. You know, if you're playing Bureau 13, maybe that's your character class or your, your race. Maybe you are a Wendigo. Oh, no, because there is a um, Department 7, um, Scorch Earth Studios has a Wendigo D20 modern class. And I'm sure one of the prereqs for it is, oh, by the way, you will have had to have eaten human flesh. And so <laughs> you can actually play this as a character, as an advanced class. But that would involve the, bringing the supernatural and infringeworthy Supernatural is rare. It's out there, but it's only per certain nodes. Well, you know, it'd be cool. You're playing this character in Fringeworthy, and then you get to a world, and you're doing your thing, and all of a sudden, you know, you're getting all these memories and stuff. And you're like, what? Or, you know, you pick up – you get stronger or you heal faster, you know, kind of like the movie Ravenous, which was an awesome movie, by the way, if you've never seen it. And that's actually it – was, it's funny because the whole concept for this character comes from a character I played once – this guy Shark, and it was in a cyber, cyberpunk world. And I had just seen the movie Ravenous right before I was making up this character. And I thought that would be a neat thing to uh, – a neat quirk to have in the character. So it was something you said you could really sink your teeth into. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So, but I'm – Don't start like that. If I wouldn't have done it, John would have done it. So I just beat him to punch. Yeah. <laughs> so playing through the campaign though, I never told the other party members – and I gave the uh, game master a signal. I would do a hand signal to let him know when I was going to do that. So whenever I got in a situation where I could try and cannibalize uh, a, a body in some way, I had this signal that I would share with him. And no one else knew what that was. You know, kind of like tugging on your ear. I can't remember what it was, but it was something like that. Yeah. I never got caught, and, and it was never a problem. And I was able to do it on a regular basis. It never came even until the campaign's end? At the end, I told everybody. Right. Whoa. No one ever caught him. There was even certain instances where it was very close, and I told him, I was like, remember when we were in this cave and a certain thing was going on, and 
the, the game master mentioned that the guy was missing an arm. Yeah, that arm was in my backpack. <laughs> so. Right, but Blix, for the purposes of this discussion, it, this secret has to come out. Yeah. If it's a deep, dark secret that nobody ever finds out about, the character's not an extreme character. Yeah. Actually, I do see him as being an extreme character because it could come out. I mean, I was really playing on this. This wasn't something that only happened once in a while in the background and we, you know, I did this during gameplay. I could have gotten caught. So it was a very active part of our gameplay. It's just no one ever caught me. If they are going to keep this a secret, the the, the player, he's got a character who's a cannibal. So what are the behaviors that they're going to do in order to keep this a secret, to keep this knowledge from being passed to the other team members? Oh, that's a good question. Um, like, what what are some telltale signs, or or is that no? What are the things they're going to do to make sure that people don't find out about it? Well, you're not going to do it in front of anybody. Are they going to be you know volunteering to go on patrols? Sure. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Are they going to be trying to steer the team toward worlds where there's lots of combat going on? They might, and um, there's also things where you know he might take guard duty. And then one of the other members wakes up and he's gone because this dude is, you know, they're, they're camped near a town and he might try and slip out for like an hour or two while everyone else is asleep and um, take out somebody in the town or something. Um, there's going to be a lot of unaccounted time for him. There's going to be a lot of times where people are like, well, where were you? And he's not going to be able to answer the question properly unless he's got a good cover story. You also got the problem that, say, he is on an IDET team. And they, you know, for whatever reasons, he, you know, he collects, like you say, he collects an arm, puts it in his backpack. And then they hop onto the platform and say, well, we, we need to head back to home base. And then he realizes, I'm going to have an arm in my bag for, oh, a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I won't be able to do anything with it. And then we're going to the base and they're going to go through everything we got. <laughs> right, right. And then where, where can I dump this arm? <laughs> right. What he's going to have to do is go. Oh man, I gotta go, you know, and I gotta go through the portal. I gotta, you know, I gotta use it or whatever. Go through, dump it out there. Act like he's, you know, mm-hmm. relieving himself or whatever, and then come back and be okay. Well, well, th- it really wouldn't be that hard just to step through the fifty-foot portal and whip it to the side, and then step back through. And no one, as long as there's no one staying there on the pathway with you, no one will ever know. Right. Well, that, well, that's the thing about him. He's going to be one of these guys who steps out quite often. There's going to be plenty of chances for him to get caught. Me and she. Or she, whatever. She. Uh, he, she, whatever. It doesn't matter. In that they're going to have unaccounted time because not only do they have to, to get the flesh, all right, so that include, that that is a period of time where um, they either have to, to kill somebody in, in, in quiet, you know, on their own. Uh, they have to prepare it unless they're going to eat it raw. So they, they'd have to cook it and eat it or whatever, consume it. So that's a that's a period of time they can't be around anybody else. Or if they are, they got to be really super slick. Human flesh does not look different than other flesh, really. I mean, you know, it's I'm sure there's similar looking flesh that that you could make sure you pack uh, in into the the normal provisions. So that when it comes time to do that, you whip out a a steak or something else. Right, right, right. And he, and I have I will I'll tell you right now. He never fed a human being to anyone else. <laughs> but I can see this character having to at some point. Those pork chops look really delicious. Can I have one? I'm oh, sure. <laughs> you can't say no. What do you say no? 
Bruce, I know it doesn't sound like a complex character, but when you're playing it, it can be very difficult. Look at it from the air point of view. Now, let's, let's assume that he does. this person does get discovered as being a cannibal. Oh, yeah. Well, that would depend on the type of team. Now, let's say he's the only human on, let's say, a team of Tazeel. Oh, man. A team yeah. of Demixi. Or, um, oh, what are other races that might, you know... Brupians. Brupians. <laughs> you know, they might not get the whole thing. That of, poor man. <laughs> you don't eat your own race. Now, if it's anyone... From the human worlds or Earth Prime, oh yes, SOL doesn't begin to describe his problems. Yeah, but we're talking a doctor. We're talking the only doctor you got for miles. Oh no, then it's even worse because that would be the that it would be just added repulsion, right? Because this person took an oath to preserve life, and he's eating dead people. He may not kill these dead people, but and also trained as a mortician, right? Therefore. This person should be treating the dead with reverence and instead is doing this. Probably, the you know, at least in Western society, right. the worst thing you could do to someone who has died. Because Desecration of, of the dead. Our, yeah. our, our Judeo-Christian beliefs that, that most of oh, us have. Well, it depends also on the religions. Like if, if, we, if you had Muslim, Muslims on the team, oh my God, it's even worse than that. Because we really believe in not discreting the body. Yeah. You know? or, or Jewish. Mm-hmm. Or Jewish, yeah. Right, the, yeah, right. they're sitting there going, "Was he kosher?" No, I, I don't. No, no, no. The, no. the Jewish, the Jewish people have a people aren't kosher with desecration of the body. <laughs> That's why, yeah, most Jewish yeah, people yeah. Are, but, are against tattoos. Now let's turn, let's turn, let's turn around. Let's say this Janine is team with some South 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 Sea Islanders. Right. They might just go, "Oh, okay." You know that wouldn't happen, John. I mean, I know. Not, at least not infringeworthy because there can only there really only be one person on the team who would be from a South Sea island because of the way the fringeworthy uh, aspect is is scattered. Or from Polynesia, or from Polynesia yeah. in general. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Most likely, you're going to be dealing with people from modern civilization. They may be from China. They may be from Africa. They may be from Europe or North or South. But most likely you're going to be dealing with a modern day mentality and they're just going to be going, you do what? Some of them might end just up and, you know, all of a sudden, at the very least, at gunpoint. That's why I chose Cannibal because it it is, honestly, in modern society, it's probably one of the most revolting things you can do. Now, there is a possibility here that the whole team could say, we're all going to get on board with this. It's possible. We're going to help you go cold turkey. No, we're all going to become cannibals with you. Oh. That is a choice for the party. Yeah. Wow. That, that's why yeah. I made her a mortician. That was her, her career choice because it, it fit in well with her ability to obtain um, body parts. So the daily party is about two pounds lighter. Right. Of things that you will <laughs> never notice. Yeah. Gets in there before all the embalming fluids get in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure, it's it part of the of the preparation of bodies usually involves uh, opening up the abdominal cavity and doing a whole lot of things. So, and of course, in the case of an accident, you know there may be parts missing already. Yeah, Pip said she don't she'd have a feast when a client is going to get cremated, take out a few organs. Nobody will notice it gets burned anyway. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. cremation. Speaking yeah. of which, I was going to say you call him a burn victim, I call him an opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh. And and she's very adept at making sausages <laughs> in natural casings. Oh no, it's funny. There's, <laughs> no, no, there's one portal world where 
the dead are smoked and turned into sausage. It, it's one of the portal worlds. It's in the first portal book. I, it's a, it's an alternate. Oh, well, well, yeah, pardon the pun. She'd be in hog heaven. <laughs> She'd be like, oh, rapturous joy, you know, hot dog buns, you know, just. Yeah. Never ask her where she gets her hot dogs from. Yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> and in uh, Hardwired Hinterland, isn't there an island of uh, cannibals somewhere? Would Etiwango have cannibal? Well, it's that. Oh, South yes. County. Yeah, this, this cannibal's in Etiwanga. And remember, Hardwired Hinterlands, folks, is accessible from the Fringe Pads. It's in the Portals 2 book somewhere. But you can go to Hardwired Hinterlands via the Fringe Pads. In fact, you can actually make this character. If you did, and this character came from Hardwired Hinterland, it could be a, an Etiwanga Islander who basically just, you know, made good and decided to go get some uh, education. Oh. But of course, he doesn't tell you one that he's he, he was a cannibal before he became before he got got the education, you know. <laughs> and it might not that he it might not be that he has a craving for flesh per se as as a you know from a psychotic. It, it might be more more ritualistic. Yeah, it might be you know, right. If he if, if, if he if he kills if he kills an opponent, he'll want a bit right to you know eat the heart it, at least. Right. Well, that that is where Amber brought in about the thing of the Wendigo. Nine times out of ten, they will sit there and kill their opponent. And take a bit into them to try to absorb some of their opponent's soul. Yeah. So they would see it as a ritualistic type thing, and it would be done with a precision that would just be frightening. Yeah, and also be done raw. Well, John, that depends. You can do it any way you want to. I mean, this is a game. Yeah, I know, said I absorb their endurance, agility, charisma, something like that. Well, yeah, Amber, that's what the the, the whole thing of the window is. You are absorbing. Pretty much the soul of, oh, man, oh, I just had a frightening thought. Okay, they find this woman out. Boom. They are going to regard her the same as a mutant Miller, which means most likely she will get shot. They will either think she's been taken over by a Miller, or they'll just say, you're as bad as one. Boom, problem solved. They, they'll ha they would. I mean, there are some parties that have dealt with the Miller and just pff, done. Yeah. Of course, in the hardwood handland, it's quite possible to cut a person's arm off, bandage it up, and eat it, and then about a oh, month or so later, you cut the same arm off again because it grew back. Oh, God, that's right. In hardwood handland, <laughs> notice that. As a matter of fact, you can do that to yourself. Yeah, self-cannibalism. Yeah. Now, that would be an interesting way of dealing with your cannibalistic urges. Why you're missing your your fingers in your left hand? They're not necessary. <laughs> I'm a righty. It's good. Yeah. Don't worry. They'll grow back. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I I looked over a little bit John's character, and I must have missed Blix's description because yeah, wow. <laughs> <laughs> this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. This is Amber. It's all fun and games until the DM rolls a one. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games.
And if you don't, we'll be having your sorry butts. Because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.